Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus 32, verses 1 through 14. And first we'll share a little background about intro to the scripture. Two weeks ago, we read about Joseph and how the people of Israel ended up settling in Egypt. We learned that sometime later, a new pharaoh had enslaved the Hebrew people and ordered the slaughter of boys but a baby named Moses was spared. Last week's scripture was about the Passover and how it was the 10th most terrible plague that caused Pharaoh to relent. Between then and now, God has parted the Red Sea through Moses, rained manna from heaven, and caused water to flow from the rock at Horeb. God has also delivered the 10 commandments to Moses The first one being, I am the Lord your God. And the second being, you shall not make for yourself a false, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Before this passage, this morning begins, God has once again called Moses up the mountain. It says that he's been gone for 40 days and 40 nights, which could be literal, but it also could simply mean a long time longer than the elders of Israel had expected. So our passage this morning, it begins in Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 14, which is found on page 74, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible. Let us listen for the word. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation." But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, 
Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them and the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like stars of heaven. In all of this land that I promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. May God bless this word to our understanding. Thank you, Heather. Um, before I um, begin and pray, I just want to note, I, I, I use a lot of pronouns for God in here, and I kind of mix them between he and she. Uh, the Catholic Catechism says that uh, God is neither male nor female. God is God. Uh, we understand that God transcends gender um, but since I use a lot in this passage, I just wanted to lift that up um, before we start. Now, let us pray together. Lord God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. This isn't God's first burn-it-all-down moment. We've been here before. At one point, God looked at Noah and said, you're the only decent person left on this whole planet. So he flooded everything and started over. Then he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. The prophet Ezekiel tells us that these towns were materialistic, arrogant, greedy, oppressive of the poor. Abraham, like Moses, tried to talk God down from destroying Sodom. But when they couldn't find even ten decent people in the town, God wiped it off the map. Ever since God formed us from the dust and the ground, and we ate from the tree, we've been disappointing our creator. Unlike all of her other creations, we haven't turned out the way she planned. In today's passage, God in her anger is looking at Moses and thinking, I'll just start over. I'll make you a great nation. But these ungrateful brats in the desert, I'm going to strike them down. They deserve it, too. These people were chosen. They were slaves suffering under the brutal lash of oppression. God heard their cries. He sent ten devastating plagues to win their freedom. He went to war and shed blood for them, killing the firstborn of each Egyptian house. He parted the Red Sea and led them to freedom. He's given them manna from heaven, and the ever-flowing stream from the rock at Horeb. These are his chosen people, and they go and do the one thing that will hurt him most. It's not like God didn't warn them. She appeared in fire and smoke and called Moses up the mountain and sent him down with ten simple commandments. The first two are the ones that are broken in this story. And God was perfectly up front in this relationship, if I have a flaw, it's that I'm a jealous God. The Hebrew word for jealousy and zeal are closely related. So if God can have a flaw, 
if that's possible. It's that she's simply too passionate about this relationship. Too possessive of her children. And is deeply wounded and angered by infidelity. So what was Aaron thinking? This is Moses' older brother. And he's been by his brother's side this whole time. Yet when the people come to him, he buys in. He knows he should say no. He was there when Moses came down from Sinai and delivered the first and second commandments, but he promises to do the forbidden, to do the impossible, to create a God. You can't make a God. It's an impossible task. It's beyond the creativity and the wisdom of us humans. Yet it's tempting to try now, isn't it? The God we have can be difficult. She comes with rules and regulations. Some of these rules are basic, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. But some of these rules can seem arbitrary and onerous. Don't wear linens of two different fabrics. Don't eat certain animals. Don't work one day a week under the penalty of death. Christianity may be less legalistic than ancient Judaism, but we still have rules to keep, and it's not any less demanding of a faith. Jesus tells us to take up the cross and warns us that following him involves persecution and suffering. And the gods we build for ourselves don't ask for these kinds of personal sacrifices. These gods let us party. We get to do what we want. Most importantly, we never have to change. We get to keep on living the life we're used to living. As I told Isaac, the golden calf isn't a random object. The bull was worshipped all around Egypt and all through the Near East. This is how their parents and their parents' parents and the parents before that did things. Even though they had come all this way, even though they had seen these great miracles, they still wanted to go back to the way things were. Old habits die hard. And in times of crisis and anxiety, old patterns will reappear. I think churches know a thing or two about how stubborn old habits can be and how difficult it can be to change them. It's not just the people outside our walls who are building golden calves. Churches of all stripes, from the most orthodox to the most progressive and everything in between, we have the same temptation. That is to mold for ourselves a God that affirms the way that we do things and requires little sacrifice to follow. Yet if we want to know the true God, it's going to be a lot more difficult than that. She wants all of us, heart, body, soul. He's a jealous God who wants complete, unwavering commitment. That's a lot to ask. So here we are in this story, a jealous God and a stubborn people. Neither one of us is living into the other's expectations for perfection. Yet there is this covenant, this deep promise that has been made that is holding us together. Call me unromantic or a cynic, and I promise this isn't the reason that Sarah isn't here. This does sound like a real life relationship to me, though, right? 
Authentic relationships aren't fantasies or about eating, meeting every, the other person's every need. Every healthy relationship has to confront the reality that you don't control or own the other person. If you want a deep and meaningful relationship, you have to learn to love the other person for who they are, not what you want them to be. And apparently, this even goes for God. We hold that God is all-powerful, but apparently even she can't turn human beings into something we're not. And it's not from a lack of trying. She tried with Abraham. Tried with Moses, with Noah. Tried with Abraham. And now God looks at Moses and thinks, maybe this time it's different. Maybe Moses could be the foundation of a great nation. But we all know that's not true. Moses' children will be every bit as rebellious as the ones out in the desert worshiping the golden calf. Those Hebrews in the desert may not be much, but they are all that God has to work with. And for our part, we need to accept that we don't get to mold God into whatever shape and form we want. We've tried that too. We want a God that we can taste, touch, see, something concrete, something certain. We worship wealth and power because those things are easily used in our day-to-day lives. Inner peace doesn't buy groceries. But money, power, fame, beauty, intelligence, praise, they're called false idols for a reason. They don't have the power to transform our lives. They aren't the most important things in this world. Love, love, friendship, peace. These things are the things of God and they don't come easy. They require being in relationships and they require working on yourself. They require sacrifice. They require admitting to ourselves and to others our own imperfections and turning to God for guidance. There's nothing harder in this life than human relationships. Relationships are a lot of work, and some relationships, frankly, aren't worth it. You shouldn't feel bad from walking away from so-called friends who are a bad influence on you. And if you're in an abusive relationship, Please, get out. Come to me or someone else you think you can trust. Get help. Not every relationship needs to be saved. But this one, the one between God and human beings, this relationship, this relationship is too valuable to give up on. God may not be the God that we'd create for ourselves, but we should be grateful for the God that we have. She may be demanding, but she's also compassionate, merciful, wise, loving. God didn't liberate us from Egypt or suffer on the cross because he is indifferent about us. God wants nothing more than to be in relationship with us and wants to see us grow and thrive. The gods that we would make for ourselves could never match that kind of love. We don't have the power, the creativity to even dream of a God that loves us like this. This relationship, 
between God and humans. This relationship can work. Trust me, if you can do your part, God will do his. Thanks be to God, and amen.